1: And Halo Infinite comes out this year. What's up, everybody? Sacred Icon is back and ready to talk more Halo. Kicking off the new year. Who year? Who year? I sound like an owl. New year, guys. (laughs) With more Halo discussion. It's me, Jovial Joshua Hargis. Happy as heck to be here again. Joined by Brian's Bane. Always happy to be here. And, wow, my hair is getting longer and wiggling all over the place. (laughs) Back again. To kick off some uh, retrospective discussion this year is our buddy
2: Alex Aruspis. Alex, welcome back. Hello there. I hey, wondered hey,
0: if he was, he, was he was going to say something it. new this time around. <laughs>
2: it's just because we've got, got the camera on and you could see me do the head movement yeah, to yeah. be very Love dramatic. It is <laughs> the welcome same intro.
0: Welcome to uh, the year 2020 part two. Mm. The, uh, what's, like what's, the last, what's, what's the last uh, Harry Potter? It's a Deathly Hallows?
2: Definitely had this Part too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So the the year decided to to borrow the Harry Potter formula.
2: Yeah. And, yeah.
1: I don't know. Harry, Harry Potter's but good. I'd like to. Know. To be
0: <laughs> to be more positive, uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Halo guys, and you know the one real benefit about we kind of planned this thing out with with Alex about talking about Halo Four and this long uh, series of retrospective. Um, we've really been in like the driest Halo information period ever since. <laughs> basically, since I mean they said that you know it's coming fall twenty twenty one. And kind of had this holiday break, and who knows when something will pop up. But we can just kind of, you know, go through all the the wonderful offerings of the time that was Halo Four. So today, we're going to talk about the Kilo Five Trilogy, which I can promise you will not be as interesting as the lovely a uh, uh, breakdowns by Alex on Greg Bear's Trilogy last week. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so let's jump right into it. Uh, kind of give us Alex, kind of give us like a a background of what? Kilo 5 trilogy encompasses who it's written by and then move us right into it.
2: Kilo 5. So <laughs> 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 let's preface this first. Uh, these are love them or hate them books. There is it, it's one of those things where there's just like there's very little middle ground that I've seen ever in the last decade and it has been a decade almost since the since these books came out. Wow. I know people who got into Halo Through these books I know people who really love them And you know There is no issue with that at all You, you love what you love You get into things through whatever means uh, Personally I fall into the hate camp <laughs> <laughs> Every time I try to reread these books And I have I've made the effort I hate them more <laughs> which is very much the opposite reaction that i have to me do i dislike i often just kind of mellow out later on uh, over time mass effect 3 replayed that recently um you know uh there there are a lot of things i'm not too keen on in that game and i'm still not and i'm kind of at the point where you know it's almost been 10 years since that came out as well and uh, I can just sit da- sit down and enjoy it and say, okay, yeah, you know, I enjoy the good of this game better. Yeah, the bad is kind of worse right now, but, you know, whatever. It's been, been a long time. Mm-hmm. But,
1: but these Citadel books... Ooh,
2: these books are something of an exception for me. <laughs> so, yeah, well, these books are written by Karen Travis. Uh, now, I want to preface this as well, because she wrote a story in halo evolutions the anthology novel in 2009 called human weakness and that explores uh, cortana uh, her interrogation at the hands of the Gravemind. mind and that was brilliant that is one of my favorite halo stories of all time i think it's fantastic um but uh, she's a controversial author in practically every universe she's written for perhaps with the exception uh, the exception of gears of war uh, where she wrote a lot of the books for that and really fleshed out the universe kind of herself um, and her own universes as well. You know, she she writes her own original fiction too, which I've heard is quite good. Uh, I've not read it myself, but uh, but I do hear a lot of people love that. Uh, but when it comes to writing for established universes, she has a particular kind of approach. You know, she is adamant about not being a fan, quote unquote, and not really doing research, particularly extensive research into those universes. Um, her approach is a kind of journalistic one because she worked as a war journalist. Uh, she reframes universes through her journalistic profiling kind of techniques for, for stories and characters, um, which can have some major consequences when you're operating with you know, a universe like Halo, which at the time she was writing had almost a dozen novels already. Uh, you know, And in a, a 2011 Halo Fest panel, uh, with her, Greg Bear, Frank O'Connor, you know, the whole team, we're gearing up for this next kind of epic uh, period of Halo. Halo 4's coming next year and all that. And they're talking about the 4 they're talking about Kilo 5, here's our vision for, for Halo moving forward. Uh, <laughs> the difference in listening to Greg Bear talk about Halo and Karen Travers talk about Halo is, is night and day in how they come across.
0: Mm. Um, I- how so, if you don't mind me asking, yeah. Greg
2: is orating at length about you know how his relationship with uh with his daughter and how they really sort of you know uh, came together to to play through these games over the years and how much love he's got for for the franchise would really shows you know through <laughs> through through the the quality of the work that he produced for it whereas karen on the other hand was just like kind of detached about it she just sort of sat back and was like yeah, you know, I I did like watching Red versus Blue. That was good fun, but I I don't count myself as a fan or of anything. I don't have any favorite characters. Oh, I'm not really that engaged, mm. and it's a it's a real shame because she was the first um, female author to have a, uh, a a a whole book. You know, we had Tessa Cum who co-wrote the Mona Lisa with um, Jeff Vandermeer of all people, uh, who made Annihilation. Uh, that the Southern Reach trilogy, uh, he did that story um, also for Evolutions. But Karen was the first woman that they actually got to write Halo books. And it's a shame that that legacy is uh, marred by the controversies around this book.
0: So I was going to ask you, Alex, um, would you say overall, I know you say it's pretty much love or hate, but would you say overall, what is your perception of the fan base in these books? Is it more people like them or is it more of the people don't like them? Or is it really just that down the middle?
2: It, it is hard to say because whenever a, a debate comes up about it, it is very strong feelings on, on both sides in both camps. I would probably say it tends more towards the negative. I'll get into a bit more of that a bit later. Okay. Um, but yeah, at, at the same time, you know, let's acknowledge that there are people who absolutely love these books and they are absolutely valid to do so. Yeah. Uh, my opinion should not uh, should not change theirs. In my we all just love what we love about halo and for some every, people every it's this trilogy
0: every fan base ever could could hear that exact line you just said Alex. yes every, definitely. Every, <laughs> everybody comes in at different points and loves things for different reasons so
2: yeah so for me what i the first thing that really turns me off is her prose because it is literally her voice it, it, it is her narration that's based on her recontextualizing so it reads like a journalistic piece which is her kind of commentary rather than narration in a story uh, you know she says she doesn't play favorites with characters and yet it's very convenient how it's always her own characters who are the uh, the moral compass of the group the these unshakable kind of like beacons of morality who face no real consequences uh, or have to reckon with the decisions that they make. And it's kind of the, the other characters, like, you know, obviously Halsey's the prime example who um, kind of become the centerpiece of like, right, everything is gonna be like nailed down on this. And uh, and it's gonna be my my new characters who are who are doing the judging. And of course, you know, we follow this Oni team, Kilo Five is are called. Um, their judgment of Halsey is like contrasted by the fact that they are themselves plotting to commit genocide against the sanghealy there's a point and it's my it's my least favorite moment in all of halo where they literally leave uh children to die Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's just forgotten about the very next chapter it never comes up again and the narration itself of that moment is Travis's like authorial voice <laughs> siding with, <laughs> with these characters leaving them behind. Ooh. Mm. It's just very, it's a strange reading experience. And I feel like, you know, ultimately, it's so dour and cynical that it misses kind of the point of Halo for me. I think that's what really kind of like separates me from it.
0: Yeah, that this seems like something I would like. I need to let like kind of gestate in my mind for a while because it, it doesn't seem doesn't seem like something I'm a fan of. I mean, we we have if this if this book tell tell me if you think this makes any sense, Alex. If this book had came out right around Combat Evolved, I, I feel like there would have been that would have made more sense because at the time our only understanding of the alien races are that they are pretty much demon they're just awful there's just nothing redeeming mm-hmm. about them uh, of course but as, as early as 2004 we're already seeing sympathy for the other side yeah uh, so it, it seems a little bit off to be this book came out around 2011 uh, mm-hmm. ish
2: yeah yeah and you know the premise is you know we really want to delve more into the the morality of of, of halo without like, the spartan project and that we're very selective about what we want to delve more into because yeah, leaving these alien children behind. Where we'll forget about that for a little bit, and the Spartan Three project as well. Oh, oh Lord, we'll get we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: must be yeah. That must have been jarring reading that bit because it's like you get the chapter just kind of ends with that, and then the next chapter just kind of moves on and forgets it. I think for me, I'd be like, uh, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. Like you're not gonna. We're just we're just moving on with the plot then. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. It was such a died.
2: whiplash kind of feeling because 2011, like, man, what a year for Halo that was. You know, it starts off with Kryptom. Kryptom comes out in January 2011. And it's like, Oh, this is like my favorite Halo story since Ghost of Onyx. And then I think this one came out around uh, six months or so later, July, August, you know, sometime after summer. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, Ooh, oh, I didn't like this at all. And then a couple of months later, we got Halo 1 Anniversary with the Terminals and all that. And I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, back in Halo 4, Halo Fest, let's go. <laughs> it's just a very strange kind of like back and forth there. Probably,
0: yeah. It probably really had you wondering. You're like, okay, once I finally played this game, Halo 4, the, the first game not made by Bungie, is it going to be something I adore or is it going to be something that I hate? Yeah. And when it came out, it ended up being like your centerpiece of life. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and that cool. is quite funny because you know it's interesting that that really speaks to kind of how little these books really have to do with halo 4 really there's some connections in spartan ups but glasslands and the thursday war are you know they feel like kind of ticking the boxes of connectivity between uh you know the state of the universe in this post-war era and halo 4 um but they exist primarily as set up for Mortal Dictator, the, the third book, which came out in 2014, I believe. And, and I'll preface this by saying, I love Mortal Dictator. I actually, like, I really like a lot of that book. So yeah, those, I didn't know that,
0: that's, that's awesome.
2: It's those first two books that I'm uh, dead set against. And I, I had quibbles with the third one, but I did actually cry a Mortal Dictator at uh, once or oh. twice
0: which is so interesting because you said the third book is the one that has the absolute least to do with four but it's the one you love the most
2: yeah yeah um, I mean Jewel's not in it you know uh, the, it, it's primarily focused on the Oni plot with um, Stefan Zensky who's a uh, an insurgent who's planning to do the strike against Earth by getting the pious Inquisitor uh, which is a you know, midship from Halo 2 um, to go and like glass Earth and whatever um and it's about him reconnecting with naomi his daughter who became a spartan and he was you know part, part of one of these like conspiracy theorists it was actually right uh that the government had kidnapped their children and turned them into super soldiers it was a really good story and i re- i was i was so moved by it. and if kilo five had just been that book i would have said you know this is one of the highlights of halo for me it's brilliant brilliant stuff but it's not it's pre- it's, it's it's preceded by two other stories which read like you know oh we've got a we've got to introduce the new covenant antagonist and explain their involvement so uh just do a little bit with jewel and then you know some other stuff with Halsey. you know we we want to really explore her so yeah you kind of got free reign to do whatever you want and we'll kind of patch up later
0: Alex, can I ta- can I take us embarrassingly off topic for just a moment? <laughs> you It made me think of this, and I feel like you know some of the best stuff with Sacred Icon comes out of off topic. Maybe this is just a waste <laughs> of time, but you said Jewel, and it made me think about how his he just went nowhere in the games, and I just had this this just popped in my head, and it's probably because I've been in a big Star Wars mood. But I'm like, for me personally, you know, second movie of the sequel trilogy, Snoke gets killed off to further the character of Kylo Ren. Are you in? Are you agree with me, Alex? Yeah, on that?
2: yeah, yeah.
0: I feel like Jule and Dama—they tried to do the same thing by building us, building lock up by him being the one killing off Jule. But I think for me, that's an example of how to do it and how not to do it.
2: Mm, yeah.
0: Uh, does that seem like a fair comparison?
2: Yeah, I would very much agree. You know. Th- the sequel trilogy is very much, you know, it's clear what those kind of beats are around Kylo Ren and his story and how, you know, his whole thing is, I want to become Darth Vader. And then they put him in a position where he becomes the Emperor instead in, in Last Jedi. And that's what I really like is that it goes to that very unexpected place where you're expecting, you know, the Empire Strikes Back 2, in a sense. But it goes off in this very different direction for a, for a fourth act. And Star Wars hasn't really had a fourth act in its story before. I was like, oh. Oh, this is exciting! I've uh, this is the first time I've like gone into a Star Wars film and just like not knowing what to expect because they're doing something very different. Contrasting those emotions to, to Halo Five, where obviously they're ending the Covenant, which is fine, which is really good. I'm glad that we kind of move on there, but they do it in a very disagreeable way with Jewel, uh just getting killed off.
0: I mean, I think, yeah, I think if we had fought Jewel, you know, off and on throughout Halo 5 and maybe halfway, three-fourths of the way through the game, there's a mission where as Locke you get to take out Jewel that could have been, it could have worked a lot better.
2: Yeah, I feel it's one of those things where it's, you know, we're going to be saying what if for a long time. I myself have had, uh, I wrote an article about this a couple of years back. Uh, I've had this like redemption story kind of in mind for Jewel, which like takes bits and pieces of the Kilo Five books and some of the direction they've gone in, like Legacy of Onyx with his children and everything. Where um, I feel like they could have told that story through audio logs and stuff, but uh, sadly they didn't. Uh, they didn't go that way, but it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I remember playing that
1: after Spartan, <laughs> working through all the Spartan Ops, and I was like, "This story is amazing." I'm not having much fun playing the levels, but then I get to Halo Five. And I'm like, man, I'm like really invested now. This is the most I've been invested in the lore for me personally. Mm -hmm. And then he dies at the end of the first mission. I don't even get to actually kill him in gameplay. And I was like,
0: You know what's (laughs) what's so silly is that anybody who spends a lot of time around me know I like to ask ridiculous what-if questions. I'm talking stupid what-if questions. Like,
1: do you have a controller
0: that's made out of pickles or a console that's made out of mustard? Like, just (laughs) dumb questions. But I actually kind of hate... What if questions that aren't dumb? Like, what if Halo 5 had done this differently? What if Star Wars had done this differently? Because for me, the way my mind, like, the logic behind it is like, okay, with Halo, Star Wars, fandom, whatever, those things are done, they're set in stone, it's best to accept it and move on, make your peace with it. Whereas if my dumb what if questions, you know, the, there's no bearing, you know? But I I just think we can, get, we can get really caught up in the what ifs of fandom, and it's usually just unhealthy.
2: Yeah, so we can... We should critique what's there and we should think about like what they've actually given us rather than, you know, necessarily what they've not given us uh, in, in certain ways. Cause that's kind of the foundation of good criticism is you engage with the text itself rather than your imagined version of it. You can, you can obviously have that be part of it, but uh, I think a lot of criticism is based around like, Oh, well here's how I'd have told this story and that's fine, you know, but I think you've got to recognize that that's not necessarily like, yeah, you know, good criticism is a kind of like a buzzword in itself, but, uh, you know, useful necessarily.
0: Yeah, but we can go back on topic. I apologise,
2: Alex. <laughs> no, 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 not, not at all, because that does bring us round to uh, <laughs> to Jewel himself um, in, in Kilo 5 books where, you know, we know he's going to be this major antagonist. Uh, and yet his backstory here that's given in these books bears absolutely no relevance to who he is when we meet him in Spartan Ops. It's just so weird. So in the in the progression of these books in Glasslands, he gets captured by Kilo 5. There's this very funny scene where he's on he's on their ship and Naomi actually sits on him <laughs> to to keep him quiet. Nice. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so he gets sent to uh Trevelyan, which is um the shield world at the end of Ghosts of Onyx, which uh is brought out of slip space. So there's this micro Dyson sphere inside the planet, which is where the Spartan threes were trained on. And in Glasslands, it comes out of slip space because, uh, you know, Halsey, the Spartan twos, Mendez, and uh, some of the Spartan threes of of the uh, beta and gamma company are inside this sphere. And we sort of see a lot of their kind of story, what's going on. Uh, and the big kind of thing that really transforms the universe for humanity is that this S.H.I.E.L.D. world is now occupied by them and it, uh, it covers like two astronomical units of space, which is just absolutely massive. You imagine like two times the size of our solar system. That's just out there in the galaxy, this physical S.H.I.E.L.D. world encompassing multiple planets and, you know, a central star. It's fascinating stuff that they don't really do much with, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, Jewel is captured because he's spying on a an arms deal Kilo five's mission is is to arm this um insurgent group called the servants of the abiding truth um who are these sort of fundamentalists in sanghili society who still believe you know in in great journey and everything and um only wants to ensure that there's a stalemate between the sanghili factions so that their eyes are off humanity this story makes sense, you know. I, I'm, I'm on board with it. It's a very interesting kind of CIA-style uh, story for Halo. That uh, you know, in in the wake of this post-war f- situation that everyone's in, um, you you would think that a group would be like, okay, so you know, these guys, we fought against them for thirty years. We need to kick them while they're down, so that we can rebuild and everything. So you know, it, it's totally fine that that's part of the story, but. Um, He gets taken to Trevelyan. We're only experiments on him for weeks and weeks and weeks. And he figures out, you know, this is also part of their genocide plan where they're plotting to (laughs) um, induce famine through their crops. They're like genetically modifying their crops so that they'll starve out the Sangheili who eat them. They won't provide, you know, any, any sustenance or nutrients and everything. Um, and he's he knows now like okay so Oni is planning to to arm us against each other keep us at each other's throats um they're planning to literally kill us off with, with with our food stores and he escapes there's this brilliant little arc in um in the Thursday war where we we see in his perspective you know he he's allowed to go out for walks uh, throughout the shield world he's guided by a, a Huragok. um who shows him around all these old structures and he finds a portal because of course he does (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so obviously Jules' whole thing is that he's an atheist he doesn't believe in the great journey and that and yet so much of his character arc in in these books is about faith because the the sort of culmination of this story is um, he doesn't know whether this damaged portal that he finds is going to work or not he has to take a literal leap of faith as he jumps into it and uh, he ends up on this distant sort of backwater redneck sangheely colony called
1: <laughs> redneck
2: That's <laughs> <laughs> basically what they are um and he ends up there and he sort of you know he fashions himself as a prophet after he's learned about the didact you know this ancient foreign enemy who who fought humanity and he's like oh he's at this place called requiem cool let's let's go there uh and it's when he arrives here that he managed to re-establish contact with sanghelios and he learns that oh his wife is dead as well oh no poor raya we, we follow her throughout uh through through some of this and this completely subverts everything that that has been built up at this point. Not in a terms of like expectations, but in a narrative sense. Because the whole Oni genocide plot never comes up again. <laughs> He's like, Ooh. oh, that they, they they killed my wife. Oh, you know, this is this is what it's all about. I'm gonna get revenge. Capital R revenge. Because every enemy has to be motivated by revenge rather than the actual political kind of machinations. Of, the, of this faction but then ryan never comes up again ever because we don't see jewel in mortal dictator we go straight to to spartan ops where he appears although he has a brief cameo in halo force campaign as he's the um the elite who's present at the didact's awakening who kneels and says didact um love it so we have all these things set up that make for a really fascinating antagonist you know he kn- he knows uh, everything that's kind of going on with with Oni and what they're planning, <laughs> and he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't say anything about it. He's just like, "Oh, let's let's go fight our own kind. Let's go fight humanity." And they never really sort of go further with with his character there. And uh, it's a real shame because there's so much that's interesting that's built up to to work with. And of course, they must have realized going into Halo Five like what do we do with this character because we want to move on to to do the created and what a mistake that was that they've realized of course um, and so he kind of like he he gets killed off and you you realize you know they must have really regretted having to do this because they never really got to fulfill his potential as a character.
0: See, this is this is when we were coming into talking about the Kilo Five trilogy, Alex. This is the thing I was most interested in asking you about, and I I don't remember all the details and the context, so I'm I'm probably gonna get this this off. But like, and I I told Josh about this back in like 2012 or whatever. But what I told him was I was like, "Yo, basically, what's happening is there is um, humanity is like by humanity, I mean Oni. uh, They're like in the background, kind of screwing over the elites by you know." keeping them against each other and, and, and and all this stuff, uh, like you said, limiting their food stores and everything. And I'm like, okay, wow, they're building to something really big that we're going to see eventually come to a culmination of like, wow, you know, this, this truce with humanity might get worse because the underhanded stuff they're doing. And like, every time I think about this plot detail years later, I go, was that really a thing or something i made up in my head because nothing ever came of it
2: yeah because they kind of hint at it in halo 5 when you go to the argent moon uh, and you see like the Asteroidia kind of compound that they were making which uh, they were experimenting on jackals and uh, you know the blue team's like ah oh, what was only up to here and the chief's like uh, i think it was either the chief or phrase like uh we don't ask and then we just kind of move on <laughs> because tortana <laughs> gives him that that vision and it's like oh yeah it's all about Cortana let's go to Meridian let's save Cortana let's forget about Oni <laughs> it's kind of this little glimpse you get at you know Hunt the Truth you know, part three that never kind of one, coalesces
0: one thing that's so hard to like keep in mind and I, I constantly have to keep remind myself of this too a lot of times we watch a, a movie or we play a video game and we're like oh if they had just inserted a scene here or if they had just done this here and like if you think about for let's say you know a year before Halo 5's release, they realize that they want to include a mission that touches on this whole Oni supply, like keeping them at war. Like, it's as fans to us, it's like, oh, just include this mission that kind of touches on this, but it's like, okay, if they commit to that, what is now? Now they have to create. New geometry, new yep. art, new dialogue.
2: Animation, new, like, and everything. It's yeah. a
0: massive undertaking. Even if. I mean even something as simple as like maybe they want to add a couple more lines of dialogue and an extra cutscene into a mission, that's not something you do overnight. We're mm-hmm. still talking about
1: Brian, some guy on Twitter work. completely disagrees with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Twitter's like I could do that in sixteen hours, no problem. Let
0: Brian, you story. just don't you just don't understand game development. I worked at GameStop for three years. I am a professional.
2: <laughs> and that is the thing, yeah, of course, like game development itself is a series of lo- is a long series of compromises and uh, you know, really trying to uh, uh, Brian Reed actually put it in a really good way: is like how to fail best um, in a lot in a lot of cases. So uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's hard to bear kind of ill will against uh, against it when you know that Halo games have notoriously had very difficult productions.
0: Oh yeah, I've said to Alex before one of the people I would love to talk to have, to be able to talk to so much like the most is Brian Reed because I just feel like regardless of whether it's earned or not and I I think to the extent of it it's definitely not earned but Brian Reed is just uh, his name in the Halo community doesn't really bear anything positive uh, most people just go that's the guy who ruined the story of Halo and they kind of leave it at that or they, they say bad things
1: it reminds me of that one tweet he had one of you guys brought it up I think it was you Alex in a previous episode around the Rogue One reshoots where he was like wow if we could you know just do that with video games Yeah, and, you know it He's not some one dimensional guy that you just, you know, you hate to hate like that. He wanted to screw over Halo like there's more to him and I, you do that stuff with love. And I mean, as we're seeing here, at least as I'm learning, uh, not just to Karen Travis, but it sounds like Brian Reed probably had more affinity for what the work he was doing, at least uh, here than than yeah. potentially Karen did. But uh, yeah, that's a shame because Brian, uh, I mean, I was guilty of that, too, though. When I remember when I saw that behind the scenes thing, and he's like, "Just take the the Lord out of hood and just make it be hood," and I was like, "Don't like him, don't like him, <laughs> oh, well, of never, I mean, never want him
0: again." We've touched on this so many times in the podcast in the past, Josh. Where like we we all have that moment where a fandom did something we we hated and we overreacted immaturely, and then you grow, and then years later you look back and you go, "You know, I didn't really handle that the way I wished I had of." Oh, dude. Uh, what, when halo 5 came out i was definitely saying i was definitely saying awful things about how brian reed, reed ruined halo but like i wasn't in a clear state of mind and i was i was backed into this like extreme fandom in in my mind um, but i mean if i could have brian reed come on the podcast now i would have nothing but n- i mean i wouldn't tell him that i loved all of his decisions of course but i would like i'd want to hear him i'd want to be respectful yeah, and i would still be like I'd still be thankful for his contributions to Halo, even if I
2: didn't like him. He's Halo. a great guy, you know? He's like, Yeah, you yeah I don't think you can always judge somebody by the content of, you know, the extremely sort of, like, cut-down narratives they've they've come out of. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I always think back to, you know, most people don't know this, but, like, when it comes to The Last Jedi, whatever side of the fence you feel about Luke Skywalker and all that stuff, like... I love Mark Hamill. I love him. No ifs, or buts. It's just, you know... When he was talking about how he vehemently disagreed with, you know, uh, what Ryan did with Luke and stuff like that. Mark Ham as much as I, like, didn't like that Luke as much, objectively, he's great. And I love Last Jedi for it. And I don't want it to ever not exist. Hmm. But to get to the point, Mark Hamill, this is Mark Hamill not liking that. This is the same guy who, when Return of the Jedi was being worked on, wanted Luke to have a mohawk. So I don't... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so... Even, like, someone like Brian Reed, like, even though I don't like, I guess, the overall narrative of Halo 5, I still love that game. I feel so much mm. nostalgia for it, and had he We're not... still playing it. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm grateful for at the same right. time. And, and the fact and, is, is, Mark Hamill a, is a, f-
0: Mark a fan of Star Wars. He's not yeah. the creator, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he obviously has a lot more influence than we do, being the central well, character.
1: I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I mean, it's kind of a... Uh, some of these things kind of I mean it's a different tangent for another time but they can humble us I think as fans you know Last Jedi for me was the one where I was like I don't know if I like this and then I came around to but it took me time whereas every other time I saw something Star Wars wise I was
0: like love it right out the gate Halo Live for you was like Whoa, I think it's this the same the first for I, think, Halo I don't like. Yeah, I think it's the same for Alex. It's it, from prior conversations with Alex. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like that was kind of Alex's breaking point too, where he realized like uh, I was really caught up in emotion on this because I, I was just I was just so unhappy with Halo Five at the time.
2: Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know that brings us back to Kilo Five itself because it was just this strange period of like my favorite part of the Halo universe once a year with uh, the Forerunner saga, <laughs> emotionally kind of contrasted by. My least favourite part of Halo ever. Yeah, once a high a in a, and and low, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like ping-ponging back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that does bring us to the the sort of the last part really of Kilo Five to talk about is um, Halsey. And how she's centered for you know the expiration of the Spartan 2 project project wow i said that wrong (laughs) project (laughs) uh mortal dictata does a fantastic job on this front because it showcases that story uh and the commentary that travis wants to make uh through a parent's perspective you know there's this brilliant i think it's the prologue of of that book where we see the family on the day naomi gets kidnapped and right out of the gate, I was like, I was practically in tears because, um, you know, she's supposed to have come home from school and they're, they're just living their normal lives on, on this world. Um, and they, you know, she goes missing, there's this big search for her, and then they eventually find her. But of course, it's the Flash clone that she's been replaced with who seems so vacant and uh, obviously, you know, passes away. Sometime later, she doesn't remember anything that's happened. And they see, you know, the horrific uh, effects that, uh, that this has on a family. And I think that is just one of the best stories Halo's ever told. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's brilliant. If you, if you like want to read a book in this series, and if you want my recommendation, it would be that. You can basically just jump into it, because it's got very little to actually do with the mm. previous two. Um, but all the rest of it... Is following this group of characters, Halo Five, these idiots who take <laughs> fifteen hundred entire pages to come to the realization that other people must have been involved in the Spartan Two pro- uh, project? Halsey didn't just do all of it herself. <laughs> to- <laughs> these are the longest Halo books that, that there are. I think Maldi Tart is like five hundred plus pages. Uh, Ooh, the the others are beefy. like four hundred and sixty or so. So these aren't like, you know, quick one-and-done reads. You are you are in this world with these characters for a very long time. And they don't really shift perspectives all that often. Um, and that's the great kind of realisation they have, is the realisation that you have, the the knowledge you already have as a basis, going into these books. Of course she had help. Of course Oni signed off on all this. Why? How, how can you not think that? How can that not occur to you? That... Uh, that not just one woman is responsible for all this suffering. And that the people who are, you know, telling you to go and commit genocide <laughs> might be the bad guys. I
1: was picture you reading these, Alex, and you're like, this
2: is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you know what? You know what? To play devil's advocate, and just to preface, I'm going to leave politics out of this. But to 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 play devil's advocate, I shared I shared on the Sacred Icon Twitter a few days ago a quote from George Lucas. I don't know if you saw it, Alex, but it was basically like, long story short, the quote was like, yeah, these movies are about, you know, uh, making friends and and good and evil and like how uh, the world needs to hear, um, like he was like, he basically said that the plot of Star Wars was super simple, but, and you would think that it's so silly that people need to hear it, but the sad part is they do, because we keep, we keep forgetting these simple things, And, once again, not, you know, being detailed in anything I'm saying politically, but in the real world, you see people um, get rightfully blamed for things. And, but people want to focus on particularly that individual. And to think that that individual is not empowered or backed by anyone else or has anyone involved in what they've done is ludicrous. You know what I mean? But but that's why I'm saying I'm playing devil's advocate because you're saying, Wow, three books to get this clear point across. And I agree with you. But it's also like how many people in the real world today are like, this one individual is our sole problem?
2: Mm. Uh,
0: when yeah, maybe that individual is a huge, huge issue, but also what other potentially thousands of things are empowering? Yeah,
2: absolutely. You know, it's a it's a convenient scapegoat for only to say you know, to put it all on this one woman but when you've got this cast of a dozen characters or so, you know, you'd think one of them surely (laughs) must have some brain cell to, to rub together. See, this is the other part is that um, it's kind of what the books fail to engage with because yeah, Spartan two project, absolutely horrific. Let's talk about Spartan three project, right? Where uh, Margaret Parangoski, who is um, one of the main characters in, in, in this trilogy she signed off, uh, and she said she'd do it again uh, on an even greater evil in terms of the magnitude of how it affects people. I think, because only conscripted, just about a thousand war orphans, aged four to six, ship them off to Onyx to this to this world to become suicide soldiers. By the time that they're twelve years old, that's how they spent their twelfth birthdays. In you know, they were chemically augmented not uh, not genetically augmented they had slightly reduced augmentations but they were put into this lovely semi-powered infiltration armor and they were sent on suicide missions and not once over the course of these 1500 pages does that ever come up does that, any exploration of that happen the spartan threes are barely in these books which is like one of my sort of big complaints because we finally got Troy Denning's novels in, uh, in 2015 with, with Last Light. And it was this big kind of moment of relief when we saw uh, Olivia on the front cover because we hadn't seen like Gamma Company or any of the other Spartan 3s for quite a while. Um, and, and it feels like they were so mistreated in these stories. I mean, there, there's one thing that really rankles me. And it's Lucy. She's one of my favorite characters in the entire series. She's from Beta Company. And at the the opening of Ghost of Onyx, her and Tom and her fellow Spartan threes are deployed on um, Operation um, was it? Operation Torpedo on to-, to Yeah, let me try that again. Operation Torpedo on Pegasi Delta, <laughs> um, which is like this Covenant sort of shipping refinery, which they have to blow up. And... Um, she, her, and Tom are one of the, the 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 sole survivors of this mission. They watch every one of their fellow twelve year old children get incinerated <laughs> by by the Covenant, and it's just the two of them left. And at the end of that, you know, she she doesn't talk ever again. She she's got post traumatic vocal disarticulation because of course she does. She's twelve years old. She's been sent on a suicide mission. She watched everyone die. Um, but. In Glasslands, she is magically cured because she just hates Halsey enough. (laughs) There's this bit where Halsey is getting a bit kind of finicky with an engineer who Lucy has grown to have this relationship with. Uh, And, you know, up to this point, it's been one of the best parts of the book. We we get to see from Lucy's perspective and kind of how she communicates non-verbally with an engineer. I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. But the, the culmination of that arc is... Um, she learns to talk again because Halsey gets a bit pushy with an engineer while she's like holding a pistol. And Lucy, <laughs> in her f- full armor, punches Halsey in the face. Nice. <laughs> she's wear- wearing this gauntlet, Say, which kills she should die. Kills Elites. Yeah, her face isn't pudding. <laughs> she she just lands on the, no- uh, on the ground with a broken nose. Um, that's what happens when you don't research the universes you write for. Um, (laughs) and and she's like screaming and then you know the the what they take forward from that is oh she can talk again oh it's wonderful she's cured her mental illness and i and i hate that so much (laughs) i just think how, how how can you know you kind of arrive at that just to sort of you know nail in your point about how terrible halsey is it's much better done in mortal dictata when you've got that grounded kind of human perspective from a new character who is affected by by all this um and that kind of leads me to you know the last sort of point that i really want to make is what impact has kilo five really had you know on halo since it's finished i would argue that it's not really had any We've not seen any more than a handful of these characters again since these books finished. Few of its ideas and concepts have opened any long-term doors for the Halo universe itself, with the exception of perhaps Halsey. They killed Joule. In Legacy of Onyx, which came out after Halo 5, Onyx goes back into slipspace. <laughs> the big kind of thing that had changed for, for humanity in the setting um it, in glasslands was bringing that shield world out of slip space so that uh it's occupied by humanity In in legacy of onyx they just shunt it right back in and you compare that to the forerunner saga where in the very next game coming out this year we're going to be on installation zero seven we've got kelly gay's upcoming novel point of light which carries on guilty sparks story uh you know which she, she's been continuing uh with renegades and everything um and it's, a, it's like that story's still going on. I'm like, It's like I'm looking forward to the next four on a saga book, <laughs> you know, 10 years since it started. But Kilo 5, I just think, you know, it, it's, it's kind of dead in the water narratively. And it's like you could have done so much more with these three novels.
0: Well, a couple of things I want to say, Alex, is one, what, what is your personal opinion as to why that is? Do you think these novels were created with the intent for them to be huge players in the universe or were they never meant to be that
2: so my understanding is that when 343 kind of started they they were much more open about letting their authors kind of tell whatever story they wanted which you know worked out with greg bear didn't work out so much with karen travis because her story is very much kind of like you've got these like little bits which you need to connect to halo Four to kind of set up that part of the universe But outside of that, she kind of tells her own story. And what we've seen over the last, I'd say probably around since 2015 or so, they've become much more directed, much more kind of confident about saying we are going we need this story told, this kind of specific narrative, and we're going to get You know reliable authors in to to tell those stories which is why they've been using troy denning so much because you know he's a he's obviously very much a reliable kind of author for that same with kelly gay you know what what this feels like right now is troy denning and kelly gay are kind of the greg bear and karen travis of this era of halo but both of them are absolutely fantastic whereas before it felt like you know one was great the other not so much depending on where you stood because a lot of people didn't like Greg Bear as well. I think that was a much smaller percentage of the Halo fan base. Certainly not as strongly opinionated as a lot of the stuff around Karen Travis's stuff was. Um,
0: it definitely seems fair to say that even if someone listening was a huge fan of Kilo, the Kilo 5 trilogy, it seems that it's more or less objective. That, uh, it's an objective fact that they don't bear huge on the overall Halo universe. Yeah. Like, even if you love them, you can agree like, okay, this didn't come into play too much.
2: Yeah, because three's idea with Halo 4, right, was that everything in the surrounding fiction would matter. They really hammered that point on every panel they did, you know, about, about all these stories, everything you've read, everything you've seen is feeding into the game somehow, in some way. That's practically a direct quote. Mm. Um, but these books stand as an exception. You know, Halo Evolutions has got more in some ways to do with, with Halo 4 in terms of setting up specific scenes and instances than, than I think that these books do. A lot of people say, like, oh, you've got to read like six books to get in to understand what's going on in Halo 4. I don't think you have to read any of these books of, of Kilo 5 to, to get much broader context. Because yeah. as I said, the things that happen with Joule don't bear any relevance to, to Spartanops' story. Um, so, you know, take that as you will. Of Alex, for been...
0: you,
1: where go did ahead. this have you... You said, you, you know, you were going up and you were going down like the ping pong, you know, just back and <laughs> forth um, with these books. Where did that have you feeling about Halo 4 just, you know, before going into it? Did it have you any, feeling any uncertainty or doubt, you know, coming off a high like, you know, some Greg Bear stuff and then you go into Karen Travis and it's like the complete opposite,
2: you know, the, the, the black to the white, so to yeah, speak. And... Yeah, there was definitely trepidation because... Obviously, the Forerunner aspect was really kind of put forth as the main thing. We're going to a Forerunner world. We're fighting the Didact. He's going to be our nemesis. Uh, but of course, we knew that the UNSC would be part of this story as well. and we knew that the Covenant was going to be there. So it was kind of being like, what is, you know, the, the sort of the B side of this story, um, which, you know, just takes up kind of the middle act, really, of, of the game. Uh, how are they going to handle that with what these books have done? um thankfully you know the end result i think was, was great um uh, as i said you know these books don't really have much bearing on the game there are some ideas of course which do come through you know we see Admiral osman in spartan ops Jules there the Halsey kind of controversy continues but you'll note that in spartan ops Halsey actually gets to speak for herself <laughs> which is um it's so much more interesting when she's an active participant in the narrative there's a scene in the thursday war where everyone's kind of on the bridge of the UNSC Infinity and Black Box, the AI, he's got like the camera sort of like on Halsey's room and he's gloating as she cries herself to sleep over uh, a picture of Miranda and that's kind of the sort of petty sort of, you know, stuff that you get every sort of other page.
0: Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be uh, something I care for too often, too much, you know, the thing you said about how we've already touched on it before in the podcast about how, you know, we don't really feel that you need these books to enjoy Halo 4. Halo 4 offers a simple enough straightforward story on its own. But I think it's pretty clear that we can say the, the Greg Bear trilogy enhances it greatly. But to take that one step further, I would argue the Greg Bear trilogy enhances the entire series mm. greatly. I mean, it just it it benefits Halo One as as much as it benefits as Halo Last Four or Five. Last time you it's... asked
2: me, it all goes back to that moment, like exactly. <laughs> that was the core that's... mystery, and uh, they did such a good job with that.
0: Yeah, that's an example of of some really great additive material, really great storytelling. You know, it's like uh,
1: uh, for me as a Star Wars fan, it's like. Uh, from what I've read of them, at least of the forerunner trilogy, it I equate those to Halo as what the Darth Plagueis novel to, for me was to the Phantom Menace. Like if you've read that book, I mean, even though it's not canon anymore, I did it just. It a lot, yeah. Oh, it does so much for that first film and just what all comes. James
2: Luenko, I think, was the was the author of that. He he did it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, he's done some great stuff in Star Wars, but yeah, I mean, I I can I can see why. I I remember from the outset I used to the forerunner trilogy for me was something that seemed very intimidating to get Mm. into. And I don't know why I I don't, I think it was just biasness. It's
2: hardcore, right? It's, it's kind of like, it's, it's the real deep fiction that isn't just fight the aliens. Yeah. I think that's what it
1: was is it was going in a different territory for me that I was familiar with, with halo. Mm. It felt like this whole other spectrum, this whole other like corner of the galaxy, if you will. And, And now that I've, I've invested more into it, um, it does so much to enhance, you know, if anyone listening is like me and are like, you're, you you have not followed the lore as much, or you, you prioritize the multiplayer or you're, you're just getting into the stuff, whatever. Like that stuff is so worth it. If there's anywhere to go, I think like I've done, you know, I've, I've read fall of reach and first strike and flood and uh, a couple of others. I've gotten bits and pieces into with uh, some of the audiobooks, but I got to say like cryptum is probably the most fun I've had since fall of reach. Um, I love it. Crimson
0: crypt- crypt- is fun. I like. I like Alex's description of like it's Pirates of the Caribbean
1: Halo. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> Jack
0: Sparrow uh, for uh, Didact. Yeah. but uh, one 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 last thing I'd like to touch on before I'm ready to move into our next uh, bit of Halo Four stuff, which is actually the Forward and Dawn movie. Oh, uh, so, yes. so
1: what you're saying is you like to move forward?
0: <laughs> yes, on, on to dawn. <laughs> I'm too Dawn. i ah, Dawn. <laughs> uh, but the one thing I was gonna say that this actually just entered my mind as Alex was talking, I was like, okay, one of these big. Background concepts in the Halo universe they've been building on for years, and it's clear that at some moment, whether it's 10, 50 years from now, I don't know, at some moment we're going to reach the culmination of this idea. It's the whole idea of the Forerunners weren't worthy, uh, and now it's the time for humanity to take up the mantle. And, you know, the things Librarian did to pass that on. Well, when Alex was talking about. The Spartan Two program and the suicidal twelve-year-olds. I'm thinking, are is humanity really the ones yes. that should take the
2: <laughs> that, That's a good point because in uh, Primordium, at the end of that, when we speak to the the timeless one, the primordial, you know, he says uh, humanity will rise again in arrogance and defiance, and that's when humanity will be tested for for their kind of worthiness of the mantle. And you know, that's kind of the overarching story is you know, we're going to fight the flood again at some point. That's, that, that's kind of the end game situation for Halo, and it'll be interesting to see how we kind of push towards that over the next decade
1: God, I can't wait for Infinite, I just can't wait to see what a lot of this it's stuff It's crazy
0: that me. we're, and I know that you know nothing's guaranteed, but we can we can actually say with certainty we're in the year of Halo Infinite, oh, I mean I, I it would take something just out of this world, which we experienced last year <laughs> to make it not come out <laughs> to not come out this year, so But yeah, so I guess it's time for us to talk about Forward Unto Dawn, which Mm. I'm sure most of you know already. Um, But it originally launched in parts as like a web series. Um, I don't know if we got it. Did we get it weekly? We did, yes.
2: Every Friday uh, in the lead up to Halo 4.
0: Yeah, so we got it weekly and it eventually became compiled into one full film, which I don't know about you guys, but for me, that's even though I know it came out uh, in pieces, in my head, it's always just one one cohesive movie. That's oh, how I see, watch it. See, for
2: me, it's the other way around because um, the way they kind of structure it is each episode has, you know, it begins with that Cortana moment and then that it moves into the, the story proper. And the experience of each week watching that kind of unfold, what she was up to on the dawn, seeing how that kind of connects to what's happening in the present, that for me was like the key part of the experience. So when I watch it as a film, you know, they front load all of those moments into the first kind of five minutes or so. Mm -hmm. And then we don't return to it until the very end of the film where we see her waking up the chief. Mm. Um, So it kind of like structurally for me is like the way I always watch it. I I never watch the film. I I try and track down where it's actually still available in episodic form. I think it's the Rooster Teeth website that's still got it. (laughs) And I just watch it that way. I'm a stickler like that. I'm a I'm a purist of that experience. That makes sense. No, that's yeah,
0: cool. Yeah, that makes sense. That's very I cool. think that's fair.
2: First um, way I experienced gonna...
1: it was watching it through uh, Brian's Blu-ray, so I kind of... Ah. I, I guess I don't even... Now that you mentioned, it, I don't even—I've uh, never experienced it that that way. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to different. say
2: that there's a right or wrong way to watch it because there's absolutely not. But uh, for me personally, it's just like that was the experience when I—I sure. I like to recreate kind of that feeling of uh, you know, <laughs> this is probably going to sound sad, but on on Fridays back then I was in my last year at school before heading off to university. Um, I only had two lessons on Friday in the morning, so I'd go in at nine o'clock. I'd have my history and classical civilizations classes, uh, you know, uh, until eleven, and then I would practically sprint (laughs) the the half an hour kind of walk home. (laughs) So I not set at all. So I could watch the next episode. It's like I'm not missing. I'm not waiting. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, dude, I totally
0: understand. I actually now that we're talking about this. I remember the way, honest, honest to God, the way I felt on Fridays was how I feel about the Mandalorian now because I was mm-hmm. just so invested in Halo. I was like, okay, today's Friday, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch the next right episode. Through. of Zoom!
1: And it's and, and the thing the that's hour. so cool,
0: yeah, and the, <laughs> and the thing that's so cool is like, and we're gonna get to it. Like, I know I'm jumping ahead a bit. Like, the the it starts off really slow. Whether you watch it episode by episode or movie, it doesn't make a difference. It's just really slow for the first I don't know 45 minutes to an hour, mm-hmm. and. I was really enjoying it even then. Yeah. But I remember watching the episode where we first see like Tom and the group like look out and they see like a vision of like their first Sangheili. And when that episode ended I was like,
2: Holy <laughs> yes. shit, this is good <laughs> it slices through the statue of Corbulo. Yeah.
0: Yes, I was like, This is really good. Wow. Like and I was definitely being biased because I was like, This movie, this is amazing show. Like this should be get a season two, you know? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the one thing I'll kind of start by saying before we really get into it is I'm like, this is one of those deals where like the the critic in me that tries to remain unbiased and really judge this film on its own, as a film, I know it wasn't released that way, on its own merits. You know, I give it a lower score because it's a low budget, 10 million, and for you listening, like 10 million to do the whole thing, that's, that's very low. Uh, $10 million to make this whole thing. Very low budget, you know. You don't have any big actors there. I think the the most notable actor for me was the the the, the girl from Chronicles of Narnia at the time. <laughs> Anna Popwell, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's so, the gal you know, from? Uh, I can't.
1: I forget her her name in the film, but she was also in Daredevil, and she, I've seen her in so many other things. She played uh, like his um, mentor, sort of.
2: Oh, Kyle Yeah, I
1: think that's her. Yeah, yeah, hey, no. I recognized her. But go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry, but she yeah, she's the only just, other one I recognized.
0: When I so you know as as from a critical standpoint, if we're putting this movie up against you know your your uh, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for uh, Shawshank Redemption's and your you know your Batman the Dark Knight, I mean if you're putting them up against this this is hard those it's, it's harsh but this movie's crap compared to those it's not the same thing at all it's
2: well, not even fair to compare. I think I would probably have a much better time personally watching this than I would diving in for the hours of Shawshank Redemption personally. I mean I do love that film. But, no, yeah, uh, totally fair. But I think, you know, if I just sort of judge it on its own merits for, for what it does, then I think I would probably score a bit higher.
0: See, now, okay, now, Alex made me look like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting to the next phase. The first phase was like, okay, guys, you know, if you're not a Halo fan and you just want to show your dad a good movie, I'm not telling you forward the dawn it's going to blow his socks off. But the next part I was gonna say, Alex, no, kidding, <laughs> is when I when I watch an experience for it and dawn, I just love it, and I really don't have any critical problems with it, and I just think this is what I want out of a Halo movie experience, mm-hmm. Halo show experience, however you want to look at it. I just think it's great, and I was happy with it, and it was just good. I mean, I just it's not like it's not like other video game movies or whatever where you go, oh, you know. I know that this is garbage but I watch it because and I, I love it.
2: It's genuinely very good. I think this is 343's yeah, three, equivalent of the Fall of Reach. What that did for the expanding universe back then is kind of what they captured here with this uh, with this web series. Oh, I get but- that.
1: I, I think you know you look at the, the the plot of the film and the course it kind of takes with the characters I mean you kind of as a fan subjectively you're like okay I want to get to like seeing the action this first time I'm seeing this in live action like I have all these things I want to see and stuff but the film really like focus it's got a slow build and it focuses on building these characters who are these makes people you wait for me? it
2: so for that yeah and it makes you wait off. for
1: it and I think contextually that's super important because it does make the highs of that film yes all the more like when you get to the like it's weird because you know uh when i was going we'll get to this uh some of this in in co- the, the next coming episodes but um when they're showing off the initial trailers and stuff like that they're teasing master chief he's he's the focus and when you look at it he's really just sort of a guest appearance in this oh yeah you know and what's cool about that is i feel like when we get to the point that chief shows up, it's really cool. I would draw the comparison with the
2: Mandalorian season two when Luke shows up.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for me, it's like, it's this jaw dropping moment and it's awesome, but I actually still end up caring more for Lasky and the rest Mm -hmm. of the people because I'm like, I have this attachment for so long built to them. It's like, here's chief. And this is a guy contextually. I know from other sources of media, but these characters I know specifically now, my, my introduction to them is very much through this film. And I want to see what happens to them. And I always think about that scene when they're driving in the warthog and they're trying to escape, and it's just pitch black yeah. at night. And I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I, I forget her name, but the girl from Narnia, and she gets like hit with the the needler And I'm like, no. <laughs> at that point, like I was so invested, and they're so close, and it made my point. Is is it? It made me care. And, and I think the
2: way they unfold that scene as well, you know, where she doesn't realize she's been hit at first, and you know, a good minute or two passes. And while everything else is going on, you know, the warhawks come to a stop and she looks down and she just sees like the shard impaled in her. You know, this is hardcore stuff. You know, this is stuff we don't even yeah. see in the games and you know, even yeah. the M-rated stuff. This is like, uh, you know, when when the covenant is first introduced and everything. This is some of the most horrific stuff we've ever seen in Halo. Where the bodies fall from the from the space elevator. That is yes. probably the darkest thing that that has been on screen. That I think feels like grounded and relatable is the screams of these people as they fall hundreds and hundreds of feet from being blasted out of the sky from what you thought was a place of safety.
1: You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me so much of Independence Day. Like that moment where, you know, like all the the people who are like really excited for the aliens. And they're like, you know, they're holding up the signs. There's like that one girl and she's like, they're all happy for them to land. And like, we're welcoming you. And then they just, the aliens just completely obliterate it. And I mean, that's obviously different. But it just, it has that moment of sheer horror where tonally it shifts from this sort of like slow build of who are these characters, you know, and, and, and where they're at and what's going on. You know, and then it keeps constantly slowly peeling those layers, like, what's this uh, you know, like they, they find out they see a Spartan and they're like, What the hell is that? you know, and all this time. And then they stuff. see the
2: reflection you get, and its visor, you know.
1: Yeah. And it just keeps building on this mystery that you as a fan, you kind of know what they're hinting at, but you mm-hmm. also don't know and you want to get to that, and then it does the tonal shift and everything just goes to shit, and people start dying left and right, and it's very much how war is. Yeah. You know, and like when she has that moment where she notices the needlers in her, it's like for her, it's very much like I'm going to die tonight. Mm. You know, like it's
2: it's so deep. And she's like, is 15, 16 years old. Yeah, horrifying.
0: Yeah, this seems like a perfect example of using using the budget correctly. Mm. Because at no point I'm watching this movie and going, "Oh, that would have been so much cooler if they had more money." Because they like like you guys have already talked about they spent so much time building up those characters slowly and not you know they didn't just start the movie with like a oh, master chief let's get to business <laughs> you know? so but, so like you have an hour of you know I, I don't know the logistics but the first hour feels like it was made with 2 or 3 of the 10 million mm. and then you it feels like the last 20 30 minutes it's like with the master chief and the warhog and the cgi on the hunter and everything Absolutely. it's like oh there's the other 7 million and it but it doesn't feel like we watched it doesn't feel like the first hour was was less no, it felt like at it all. was just as good and
2: the, very clever as well when when the elite the zealot comes in because they have it invisible most of the time and that just adds so much kind of anxiety and fear. We're used to using this in in the games, right? You know, you pick up pick it up as a power up and you're just like going through these rooms, beating grunts to death, smacking yeah. things in the backs. Good fun, but then they completely kind of flip that in this where it's going into the dorm rooms of teenagers and slaughtering them while invisible and then you've got like Lasky and you know the Hastati squad in you know basically in uh further down the hallway waiting uh, for, for their death to come and they're desperately trying to find something that could help them here well see this was yeah.
1: that's what makes me so excited for the Showtime show and just whatever they do for future live action stuff because really like mm that you mentioned right there is a great example of like seeing the translation between like how this stuff has been in video games and how it's like worked all these years that we're used to and then seeing how they can do this and tell it <laughs> narratively
2: in live <laughs> having action a great time <laughs> well the my grins probably not what you
0: think so i got one small thing to say one big thing to say my grin was because i was just picturing because i just watched the last jedi like a night or two ago mm-hmm. and the guy who's playing captain keys is in that movie in the last
2: is jedi. he i did not know that he is
0: one of Holdo's, like, one of yeah. the cruise ship's captain. Wow. So, basically, he's like, I, I don't remember the quote, but he's just sitting in the captain's chair, and he's like, you know, it's, I'm making some up because I don't remember what he says, but he basically is like, oh, it's been an honor serving with you, you know, we're we're, 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 we're going out, and then they, he gets blown yeah, up. The the like, sure. Oh, is he the one
2: who goes, Godspeed Rebels, uh, before we get Yes, there. I think that is him. I, I think be, that yeah. is him. I could be wrong. So
0: every time since the Showtime announcement, every time I watch The Last Jedi, I'm like, Captain Keys, no! <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> like, to me,
2: Captain Keys dies every time I watch The Last Jedi. Gosh, I did not like, know God. that. There's yeah, anything to love about me. the film. Real, there real. you go. Um,
0: but uh, then the second thing I was going to say is I, I, I notice as I get older, my tastes in film, I like things that are slower paced and more thought out. Yeah, love more- me that exposition. Yeah, I, I, and it, you know, it reminds me of, um, and I'm sure Alex knows about, I know obviously Josh does, you know, the whole, um, Red Litter Media, you know, Star Wars reviews. <laughs> oh, yes. So, yes, well, I'm not gonna even touch on the prequel stuff, but there's one moment in, in the Plinkett reviews where, um, I'm paraphrasing, but Plinkett's like, you know, if you think Empire Strikes Back is the worst movie because it's slow, you're stupid. You're or idiot. something like that. Yeah, you're yeah. And it's like you know, I, I get why he said that.
2: Than my son. <laughs>
0: yeah, <right. laughs> and uh do you want a pizza roll? Um Oh, and it's like no. I get what he's saying because there are – there and you're not wrong to feel that way, but there is a group of people and especially children who are like, eh, I don't like – that's the worst one because it's slow or maybe just people who like faster-paced movies. And then I think of like The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. I'm like, wow, when I watched The Last Jedi, I'm like, here's all this time of – Ray on the island Here's all this time of Kylo and, and and doing his own thing and it's like and it just lets it breathe yeah. and I get to Rise of Skywalker and I'm like I, somebody give me some water I can't I've been running for th- three hours I think you that's know?
1: what's different yeah for me is too is like I, I don't when it comes to films I really care about character exposition I like to build it because it makes me it makes me care about being invested into the story and the nuances that are there if I'm willing to really look for that stuff past just I'm gonna sit and watch a movie for an hour and 40 minutes yeah. or whatever you know, and I think about scenes like, you know, when when they're in the uh, locker room or whatever, and there's the, the elite in there and with camo and stuff like that. And and it's so like you said, there's so much anxiety that's being induced in that moment and so much suspense. But I care about it because I've now had like this past hour or whatever to care about these characters. Yeah. It made me
2: give a Even damn when you don't like so them, that. I care about right? like Vickers. Yeah, he's yeah. been a dick. Mm. The whole, yes, yeah. he has his moment in that he has scene. His moment. He he tells them to I run. I feel bad for him. Literally yeah. sacrifices himself, and I, I just thought, oh God, you know, he he's a kid, and and he's yep. he's done that.
0: And I know the exact criticisms we'd be giving the movie if it started with Master. Like if start the movie, let's say the movie's an hour and a half still started with Master Chief, and he's coming in to save this group of kids. Mm-hmm. My, one of my criticisms of the movie would be I would I'd be like, I don't give a damn about those kids. I don't care about their life, what happens to them because Does I don't chief know them. Make it? They're they're yeah, it's like I like what happens to Chief? because I'd be like, I don't know these actors, I don't know these characters, I don't care about them dying, I don't care about them sacrificing. But the thing was they did it right. By the time Vickers dies, I'm like Man, Vickers, like I know you did. You were a dick, but like you didn't deserve that. And like you're my bro. And then when, when she gets hit by the needle, you're like, no, don't die. And then you see Tom crying, and he's yeah. like, Tom does a good job of getting emotional too. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Um, and you know there was a real fear on my on my own part in the Halo community because we we had at that point, you know, the scripts for Alex Garland's Halo movie and the various failed attempts at production for a halo film and they were all horrible they were all terrible we've learned recently that even gilmo del toro master storyteller wanted master chief to have an evil twin <laughs> and and you just think like, you, there are so many ways that this could go wrong all these video game adaptations go wrong they're, they're, you know but halo has always been the exception in every sort of media form it's done, where it's pushed into new areas, you know transmedia for for books when when the fall of reach came out, that was the the defining case that video games can you know tell extra stories in in books that have mass appeal and are actually very good, and we're Brilliant. thirty plus novels later <laughs> and R- know, brilliantly said we're in the same position now with the the television show where yeah things are going to be different because it's kind of you know things have changed a lot in the last decade that it's been sort of planned but i'm interested to see you know similar to what they did in making their case with forward unto dawn just what halo has to offer this new kind of frontier of media
1: it did a real great job i think of like i said establishing those characters like especially lasky considering how he's being built up as this i prominent have thought, character so I'm lasky game. we'll
2: get to that in a bit <laughs>
1: yeah uh but then you entered you know you bring in there you bring in chief there which is just it it's like a dream come true in a way because you, you know we thought we were going to get the movie we didn't and then like you said you you know people had the script and they were like you know a lot of people were like yeah but uh then you get to see him in there, and I, I still remember watching him and thinking, like, I'm so glad he's so minimally used, but like, mm. it's not like he's just a cameo. Like, I think of that scene where he's fighting that. Uh, oh my God, Herg- what is it? Herg- I forget the name. Hunter? the name. Of it. Yeah, the Hunter. Basically. <laughs> um, and he's fighting the hunter, and dude, it just was so badass. Yeah. Like, it didn't. I was. I bought into all of it. Mm.
2: Well,
0: one thing I want to touch on what Alex said before I forget is. Um, and I, I may sound really biased in this, but he's so right about how they've done—they've done so good on their their extra media. Because to me, that new Star Wars Visions announcement, they need to look at Legends. Like Legends knocked it out of the park. The Halo Legends, oh because yeah. like, that's basically what they're doing with Star Wars. Yeah. They're doing the same thing that Halo did with Legends, and to me, Halo Legends just killed it. I mean, it's just that is that is a fantastic piece of Halo. Halo wrote was, the
2: playbook that other people, are, you know, as big as Star Wars, are looking at, sort of pursuing right now. I think that's, you know, when people say like, oh, Halo's dead or whatever, <laughs> it's its cultural influence isn't just like, you know, how many people are playing multiplayer at a time. It's that other creators out there are learning lessons from it, for, for yeah. the sort of inroad from the roads that it's traveled.
0: Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I think... what's Go ahead, Brian. I say, what's forget. so great is that you know, while while other franchises, you know, that got a big theatrical release, you got your Assassin's Creed movie, mm. you got your Prince of Persia <laughs> movie, your Tomb Raiders, you know, which, you know, if you love those movies, great, but, like, they're generally seen as, as not successes. Um, so, to see that instead, we never got that big theatrical release of Halo, which, if it was done right, would be so cool, but we did get Forward into Dawn, which we're all very pleased with, was done very well, and then... When we got a scrapped Halo theatrical release, we got the film District 9, which has nothing to do with Halo, but is a great film. So we have a great film that's not Halo, and then we have a smaller budget thing in Forward and the Dawn that's actually great. And even with Nightfall, which I know... Alex could go on for a long time, with. so I'll just briefly touch on it because it doesn't have to do with the retrospective. That'd
2: be another podcast but, in itself.
0: Yes, exactly. We will do that eventually. Um, but even with someone like me, who's like, I don't enjoy watching Nightfall that much. It, it doesn't hit the same be- you know note for me as as For the Dawn. My issue with Nightfall isn't that it's disrespectful of Halo. Isn't that it doesn't fit with Halo? Because it definitely does do those things. It's just an entertainment thing, and I, I'm much more I'm much more glad. To have an issue with enjoying Nightfall from an entertainment perspective, Mm. then I am like, "Oh, Nightfall's the one that said that Locke could spawn a third arm whenever he felt like it." You know, like it doesn't it doesn't ruin the canon or whatnot. You know, so
1: it was a fun time for me. Like I, uh, like picture this for those listening: like I was in a Halo coma, and I come back after a couple years. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, a halo coma in the sense of like, I'm, it's gone from my life. Like, I'm just yeah. out of it. I'm you know? <laughs>
0: I'm not like this halo <laughs> induced coma. But, uh. You just. Uh, his eyes are closed. He's on the bed and he's just picturing the, the, the brute DJing and Reed. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: hey, if there's anything to imagine, it's that. Yeah. Uh. But yeah, dude. Uh, for me, it was like coming back and I have. After a couple years, I'm like, okay, here's Ford here's Halo Four, here's Ford Unto Dawn, here's Halo Legends, here's these great, the Great Bear Trilogy, here's Spartan Ops that I never experienced before, and Master Chief Collections coming with new terminals and all. Like I, I will, you know, I mean, 2011 to 2014 was just an amazing time, but it was an amazing time. I see it now all the more because of Halo Four and because of what they were doing with that, and I. We'll get into that more in the, the coming episodes particularly but um what an amazing job they did at coming in to make this game being halo 4 and then trying to do all this other shit at the same time yeah. and like I mean, considering it how 343
2: 3 grew from just a handful of people to over 300 over over you know, those three years and all the stuff they were juggling the transmedia and everything and for it to have. You know, come out with such an incredible baseline of quality. The only thing I dislike being Kilo 5 books, and that's largely because, you know, Karen Travis is off doing her own thing, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've got all this, which is like hitting the sort of like the highest points for me, like the, you know, 10s out of 10s and everything on, on a regular basis.
0: Yeah. See, that, that's, and I, we can't, we can't go into this either because that's another topic, but like, that's why it was so like disheartening to me because, like, so you know Alex and I were in the camp of like you know 343 3 took over and everything straight fire I'm like yeah. boom 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 and then Halo 4 comes out and I'm like this game is deserving of the Halo title it's either as good as others or better that already exist and I was just like so when when like you know at the time Josh wasn't a fan of it or I had other friends who weren't a fan of it you know I'm going like I'm going to them going hey I'm a I'm a 343 fan because they they took on the impossible and they succeeded above and beyond. So then when Halo 5 came out and I had you know brought all these people around, it was kind of just like a, this isn't, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like jump on the nerve of Halo 5. I'm not. It's been said before, but it's like, it was just so odd to see 343 come in and knock it out of the park so many times. And then when Halo 5 came out, that was the kind of effort, Halo 5 was the kind of effort I expected them to right potentially out the hit their yeah. first time. Yeah. But it came le- and it was just conf- it was just perplexing to me because I'm like I know you guys with with far less can do so much better.
1: Well, I think it's good they probably got off on the right foot, right? Because then you have it that is. you have that uh, sort of precedented example of what they can be and the, the heights they can achieve, and, and right you want to the see rip. them get back to that in a sort of new way. So, but then you see how maybe low some things can get to, and you're like, okay,
0: so here's the high, here's the low. I hope we can get back to that you know, but at least you start off with that so but alex if you if you wouldn't mind i and mean, because we're we're going to try to keep it around an hour and a half so we don't have a ton of time left and i definitely don't need you or particularly want you to go into the strenuous detail you did with the, the 400 saga but maybe <laughs> was maybe you would enjoy it it would be helpful to uh the listeners you want to just kind of go across from the beginning to the end of four and the dawn kind of the beats yeah sure
2: kind of what i'll do is uh i'll do that by explaining why tom Lasky is one of the best halo characters ever
1: great (laughs) yes i'm ready for it let's hear
2: it so yeah i mean at at the base level just sort of as a grand kind of picture you know this is a 16 year old i think he's 16 at the at the start of this uh this story he he, he's lost his brother to the war with the insurrectionists and he's got no idea kind of how to deal with it you know he he tortures himself every night that we see in this in this show slash film uh, by rewatching his brother Cadman's uh, last messages to him, you know, and he constantly he's replaying the same chess game um, Which is a really great little detail that they have, you know, he's got the um, little bullet casings where him and his brother are, you know playing the game and that ties it back into the uh, first quote Cortana says in full of reach was you know the at the end of the game the king the pawn go back into the same box Which is referenced by Colonel Mahaffey in in this and at the same time, you know, he's, he's having to deal with this all by himself, which is you know really horrific emotionally. But that's also on top of a physical condition that we learn he's got because he's allergic to the um, cytoprethaline drug that's used to prevent cellular damage um, during cryosleep. And that actually qualifies him for medical discharge. So, you know, when we talk about sort of drama, um, this is very sort of low level for Halo, right? You know you're allergic to something versus you're fighting hundreds of aliens who are coming at you. So we start on this very, very small level that builds him up as this very human character. And despite all this, you know what he's lost, what he's suffered, his whole thing is that he doesn't hate the insurrectionists. Um, he makes himself unpopular with with his peers who verbally and even physically harass him throughout this. Uh, sort of first act, and even his teachers, because he dares to question the uh, the UNSC's war with with the insurrectionists. You know, he dared to try and understand things from the enemy's point of view. And it's so fitting that we bring this up in this podcast where we talked about Kilo Five, because it's kind of like you know the the complete opposite of that. He argued very much that the UNSC had been uh, at fault for for everything that was going on. And that's not going to fly in this, you know, this prestigious UNSC military academy where they're preparing and training the next generation of uh, of the elite um, uh, for war against, against these people. And this, you know, it drives him as it would, you know, a teenager to negatively impact his squad as he sort of disregards orders and he sort of ignores his classes. Uh, but of course, you know this is teenager kind of behaviour as he's dealing with the grief of losing a close family member, seemingly his only close family member, because his mother Audrey Lasky, she is, uh, she's away, constantly with her own duties to the UNSC, uh, and it's implied that she's a single mother, and uh, his physical health is being, you know, something that he's got to essentially deal with by himself, and yet he's still got the courage to to stand up to to his peers despite you imagine the immense pressure uh to to fit in that you feel just naturally as a teenager but also when you've got a literal war on and you know he says that what the UNSC is doing isn't right and that the violence needs to to stop against these people and that I feel is Lasky in a nutshell you know he is this perfect in sort of vision of kind of the best of humanity And in a universe where you're, you know, a super soldier fighting against, you know, these technologically superior aliens, you know, the shift in tone you get with Forward Unto Dawn and Halo 4 and how they kind of build these characters to accentuate a much quieter kind of heroism in, in the start of the Reclaimer saga story. You know, it's not just about killing all these aliens and being, you know, gruff and heroic and that. It's very much about kind of the quiet sort of rebellion of these characters i just think it's absolutely like nothing that i've ever seen before in halo and it sort of sets a new kind of bar a new standard by which i judged the series is like this is the direction 343 is taking it and they did such a good job
0: mm-hmm. such a good job yeah, I I fell in love with Lasky from the beginning. I mean, when I played Halo Four, there was there was never a moment of like him having to really earn my mm. uh, my love because even even though I you know I had that an, ancillary like material in Forward and Dawn, um, he was likable in the game mm. from the moment they just nailed his character. Yeah. I always think back to the
1: moment like right near the end when when Master Chief you know you get to see why he's inspired by Master Chief you know and what sort of drives his motivation mm-hmm. to get to Master Chief in Halo Four. And just that moment at the end of Halo 4, like, you know, kind of the moments at the end of both of those films, really, where it's, you know, there's a different kind of motivation going on for them. That's kind of been running throughout and you get to see it and how they, they sort of complement one another because you have sort of the best in humanity in this sort of super soldier. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you have the best in humanity in, in a human, which yeah. is Lasky. You could almost imagine
2: that, uh, you know, Lasky might have might be who the chief could have been had he not been a Spartan, you know. that's Yes. Yeah, I agree with how that. you yeah. sort of frame him.
0: And I think there's another point to make, and I'm you know jumping jumping ahead is there's that moment at the very end of the of the series where the Spartans are Kelly and um, Fred, is it, is it Fre- yeah. Fred Kelly, and Fred. They take off their helmets and uh, they see Dead that ass stare at them. <laughs> yeah, they see that like oh, they're just kids.
2: They are the same age. <laughs> the, yeah. the, these which you know brings that parallel even further into focus. These Spartans and these uh, you know the the people at Corbuna Military Academy. They could be interchangeable. They could be each other, in a in a different world, in a different life, and uh, And to
0: see the to see the heroics that Lasky has that you you described, and then to see that contrasted with like Master Chief's, like, you know, they're both. It's not like one is more worthy of of being a hero, you know what I mean mm. they, they've both earned it, but one was one kind of made a choice where one didn't.
2: yeah one was you know forcibly kind of made into a hero and the other sort of you know through dire circumstance became one
0: man the more we talk about this i'm just like that is such a good film <laughs> yeah. series whatever you want to would you what would you uh, alex is i would defer to you what would you call it if you're would you describe it as a web series to
2: someone i would yeah well um, to someone i'm not sure how i'd sort of describe it to sort of sell them on it because like oh yeah let's watch this web series rather i would probably say film let's watch this film yeah okay <laughs> or this series uh, that
0: makes me feel better about saying film then because I, I know it's, it's a little bit disingenuous when it didn't start that way but yeah. uh, i think they despite it not being your preferred way i think you'd probably agree they, they put it together oh yeah well yeah, totally. as,
2: yeah. yeah. Well, i love the uh, framing because as i think i spoke about in the last one 343 loves their framing device uh with the forerunner saga when we covered that but in this one the whole story that takes place is a ptsd kind of flashback of Lasky's when he hears the distress call from the forward unto dawn ship in the present and, uh, you know, it, it closes in on his eyes. There's this great kind of cinematic motif 343 has throughout their their games and everything, focusing on characters' eyes. Like, you know, the first shot of Halo 4 is essentially like the chief's eyes and, and Halsey's eyes kind of imposed over each other. And we see that again with Velasquez here where, um, you know, he he's uh, breathing very heavily as he hears this distress call. And then he wakes up out of the cryopod as a kid. It's brilliant stuff. They're such good storytellers when it all kind of coalesces together in these very consistent ways. it was
1: one of those things for me that made me so damn excited to go back and replay Halo 4 because I got to see contextually just who this Lasky guy is. Mm. For me back then in 2012, who didn't uh, who, who didn't spend as much time forming his opinions, so Lasky is this one-dimensional good guy <laughs> and he's so much more than that. But then you see something like Ford unto dawn and I'm like, okay, I now I want to play this and just try to just get all the Lasky bits I can out of it, you know, because like Chief is cool, but now I really give a damn about yeah, this characters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then of course the Covenant arrive. That's good fun. Uh, yes. <laughs> when they co- they do build this up, you know, with the with uh, Sully. Oh dear Sully um who <laughs> has been hacking into sort of comms and uh classified footage he puts together uh the insurrectionists and spartans working together against some unseen enemy uh, and then uh we see like a meteorite sort of come down over the planet um at the end of one of the episodes when everyone goes to sleep colonel black is kind of on the lookout for for something uh, and then it all comes to a head when they get called to the space tether because they're evacuating the planet and ODST start dropping in. And then they look up through the sort of the sky glass and they see come through the clouds. Those <laughs> those covenant corvettes just drop down. Horrifying. And, absolutely. Imagine being on the ground, seeing that for the first time. They sell it so well you are with those characters you're practically like your your face is like an inch away from the screen as this is all unfolding (laughs) and uh you know just one shot one blast is all it takes and it topples that the space tether down and the bodies fall out from uh onto the glass and through it and it's just it's pure chaos from there and gosh it's it's one of those things you just have to watch for the things that they do come who has been, you know, sort of one of Velaski's kind of mentor figures and that just dies in an instant when she gets shot by like three needle rifle rounds yeah. and her chest like explodes. And, you know, it sounds all grim and gritty and to, to, to describe it, but to see it play out, you, you, you believe the drama every second you're watching it.
1: Yeah, and it's so wonderfully executed because, I mean, they could have told a story very much about how we're just seeing these like from our perspective we've known we, we've been killing elites for years yeah but we get to see it from the these elites from the perspective of almost something like maybe contact harvest for example where they get to have their first encounter do and you, that's amazing
0: speaking of this this moment i i'm guessing you probably don't remember alex do you remember where this as an app as when it's a series where does the episode end do you remember you probably don't i'm
2: assuming oh uh, how do you mean
0: like because well, basically the story I'm, I'm trying to get to is that when I watched this as an episode and you see like, you know, the the tether falling out of the sky and the bodies and, ah, and yes. the Corvettes, when it ends, I remember my jaw was just dropped. And I was just like, I was like, did that just happen? Like, yeah. what?
2: Like, this is really good. Yeah. And because I'm <laughs> a very sad individual, I do remember actually where that cuts off. It's yeah. not
0: cool. <laughs> no, great.
2: Where? That. Um, What's it end so with? So obviously the tethers come down. Um, Kyla finds Lasky, and they sort of like head to the window, and they see the elite, you know, come up with the OGST kind of backing away. It cuts through the statue, and it ends on the bodies falling onto the glass. It, it cuts to see, black as the camera oh. kind of goes up, and uh, you hear those screams and just the cracks of the glass. That's what it ends on.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, my my jaw—I literally was just staring at the screen, like jaw. It was one of those things where it's like once it ends, it cuts to black. Yeah. You feel like you're staring at the the black with your jaw dropped for like an hour but really it's probably like 11 <laughs> seconds you know oh man make you want, leave
1: you may, uh, leave you wanting more man that's always just the best thing absolutely yeah. yeah gosh man the legacy of that too is great i mean uh, what's it from your guest's oh, perspective being uh, in the community
0: what's dude, up dude i was i was just thinking of like that moment where the dude which i don't know was think it's silly he comes in the room and he's like it's out there and it's invisible <laughs> yeah. it's, it's invisible cuz like they don't know that's a thing yeah. and they're like like we thought we were screwed we really i can't even see it
2: it's the novelty <laughs> of seeing these halo things which we've been so used to for the first time through new eyes and i think as a fan as a long time fan we get to a point where i've certainly found myself watching new people play through halo for the first time which people have been able to do as the master chief collections come to pc and it's kind of the narrative version of that you're seeing these characters experience what we're used to in the halo universe for the first time and that novelty never really kind of leaves you because uh, you want to feel like this series is fresh and new. And it, it really is here, you know. The, this is 343's kind of first act in this grander kind of story for everyone. And they just... Uh, I'm still in awe of how, how much they nailed it. And Stuart Hendler, the director for, for Forward Under Dawn, did a brilliant job as well. Him and everyone who worked on this. Just they probably didn't know how like you know the the full extent of the thing they were making with halo and and this could have just been like another project to them but they did such a great job such a great job two
0: uh two silly things to lighten the mood one my biggest criticism it's a nitpick i hate the part where he's like (laughs) he's like you can call, call me, me master chief, master chief.
2: <laughs> like, that
0: felt really like video game movie fan like appeasing i'm like oh like my face it's got a little so red cool though i eat it up
2: like, you can call me master i'm chief. not sure like what i'd replace that line with because that, that wouldn't sound kind of equally cheesy because you know, obviously you do need to identify him as the master chief for for the audience and uh how do you kind of like have him identify himself? He's not going to say like, call me Spartan 117 or call me John.
0: (laughs) John would be hilarious. Yeah, yeah, it is a hard thing to like, if, if I could choose, I would have maybe had, and I don't know if this would work, but I would have had maybe some way where the kids discover it on their own. Like maybe he, something fell off of his armor or they saw something that said like he was the, like, oh, you know, like maybe Lasky picks up, like that's the Master Chief. I don't know. But, and then the second thing I was going to say is, what do you guys think of that janitor in the cafeteria?
2: It <laughs> seems very suspicious to me, Mr. Yeah. Hamish Beamish.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then you can select that uh, icon, for your icon, I think, in MCC, right? There is
2: also a canonical um, poem in Halo Fractures, the anthology which released in um, 2016 after Halo 5, which is about him. I'm not sure if either of you know that. It's called The Ballad. I, I did, but I don't... The yeah. Ballad of Hamish Beamish. It's very good. You yeah. should read it. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: ridiculous. I love it.
1: Uh, what yeah. do you guys think uh, the legacy, you know, for for this in the community is? I mean, the lasting impact. You guys have been more invested into that stuff over the course of time. I mean, how, how do people still take this? I mean, people is it people hold it in really high regard? It seems like the general consensus is it's good, but do people really really seem to love it within the community, or is there any people that just like
2: this sucks? I think we're so. I think uh, I think it is still very positively remembered by, by a lot of people. You know, I do get frustrated because um, it seems hard for a lot of people to talk about Forward Unto Dawn about how good it is without saying, <laughs> not like that, Nightfall.
0: Ha! Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. It doesn't that's need
2: to be compared by, by its quality because I, 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 mean, I mean, I feel both are great, but it, by itself you know forward unto dawn is is fantastic and
0: that goes that goes for everything alex y- yeah you're, you know what we everybody watched the season finale of mandalorian season two and every other post was uh oh, last jedi at least this is this is better than last. like
2: just say that this was when good. the irony being of course is that the mandalorian season two kind of what that shows of luke reinforces the whole narrative that the last jedi gives about him being luke I, Skywalker, I don't understand it either master. It's Legends. someone
1: who came out of Last Jedi and, and initially was like, "I don't like this Luke," and I mean, I've come around to it. I see the sort of Return of the Jedi Luke in Mandalorian, and I'm like, "I love this Last Jedi Luke all the more now because <laughs> I get to see this Luke again on a subjective level, but objectively, it just completely connects it and yeah. complements it." Like,
0: and yeah. I've told Josh from the beginning, like, and this isn't me trying to like, you know, have a revisionist history to make my opinion looked better but when I watched The Last Jedi I just thought it never crossed my mind that it wasn't the same Luke I just thought this is the same Luke 30 years later it's not that I thought it's not I didn't have any strong opinion either way I I didn't think like this is a different Luke a bad Luke a good Luke I thought I'm just seeing the same character like so when I came out and I saw all this discourse around like that's not my Luke that's not my Luke I'm like I didn't know that was a thing, because it just it
2: just seemed like the same character. We saw him when he was 19, you know, in A New Hope. And then we follow up with him 30 years later. I don't think I'm going to be the same person that I am now, 30 years from now. And I'm definitely not the same person now that I was when I was 19.
1: Yeah. No, <laughs> same sure. goes for me, man. Uh, people change. People grow you, in different ways.
0: Can you imagine, like, there's so the hubris the Jedi had in Phantom Menace when there was so many of mm. them, and then you multiply that by I am the only Jedi in the universe and I saved everyone by destroying the Empire, the hubris level would be exponential. <laughs> like, just multiplied.
2: The responsibility so, that you have.
0: Yeah. But I know we're kind of getting off topic there, but I guess because we're getting to the end of uh, the episode here, guys, um, I guess the the last bit, unless somebody wants to bring up something else, that I would really like to touch on is the the hunter battle at the end hmm. um, of Ford Unto Dawn. I've seen some people say I actually made a, a tweet. Uh, I don't what know, is this species called
1: again? Hergalock? Is uh, it my family? Wow, right, you're I saying was way you're off. thinking
0: of the engineers.
1: Sir. I am thinking of the engineers. Yeah, <laughs> uh, listen to these guys, not me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you're thinking of the engineers. Fake Halo. Fan. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, right. <laughs> uh, that's like me when I say I played an RPG and skipped the side quest. Josh <laughs> and my brother are like fake fan, not, not real fan. Not a true not fan. True fan. Uh, but no. Um, Oh gosh, what was I going to say there? Oh, yes, I made a tweet uh, a month or two ago and I was like, what is Master Chief's greatest moment for you across all of Halo's media? And more than one person said that their favorite moment was him facing the Hunter in Forward and Dawn, which I love to moment, hear. Yeah. I thought that was very it's cool. It's
2: the end, bit, you know, where he stamps on that last living worm and you hear the Halo theme play as uh, his armor's like spattered with its blood and it just sort of like he sort of rises up I just thought mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's that said, the chief.
1: I've talked about this before but there's always those moments where I get so excited. It's just like like I I always remember when I I'm standing in line for Halo 3's midnight launch and this car drives by the street like uh, across the way drives by and this guy in the passenger seat just gets out and screams, "Halo!" <gasps> and you could feel the euphoria, yeah. the electricness just now going off everyone. And it I always have those like halo moments and when he
0: does that, it's like that's fucking halo. Like that's why I love it. You know? Now that now that uh Alex mentioned like uh stepping on the last like worm and, and rising, I'm like, I now need to make a clip to put on twitter of that scene but in the background is this the freaking chanting from the dark knight rises and then, oh, and then the guy who goes rise a hero rises <laughs> i just need to overlay it it was just and i love that movie but it was just so on the nose like rise is in the title we got to talk about rising you know
1: it's a great uh, scene though i i love that whole part because it it's it makes Chief the badass. I always thought he'd be in live action and I always wanted him to be. You but like see these it,
0: kids being in like, action. But it
1: doesn't take away from the more important part, which is the integrity of
2: the characters, yeah. you know, that you built up this whole... It's like your reward part, like, for investing in, you know, these characters in yes. the story. is like, now you get to enjoy, in an enhanced fashion, the Chief kicking ass.
0: Yep. and this is what you already said Alex Is like the Mandalorian that season finale it's like you watch all this and then okay we're going to treat you with Luke going down cool. the hall taking out some it's like
1: food. you said Brian it's like when you're watching okay like when I'm watching Ford until dawn and it gets to that part I'm loving all the chief stuff but with that kind of thing you always run the risk of stealing the show from these characters you're supposed to care about you know but with you Brian you were when Luke showed up you're like this is awesome but I'm 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 watching this show for Din Djarin and Grogu, so I still really care about what's going on in his end. You know, for someone like me, I can admit as much as I love that moment, like the moment when he's holding Grogu, takes off his helmet and everything, and that little moment, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. Why am I crying over a but puppet? in that moment, I'm like, this is this is amazing. But like Luke's across the room, I'm just like, holy shit, Luke Skywalker. You know, I'm processing all this stuff. So for me, it's like, I mean, I guess we can all agree, it sounds like, but you always run that risk of stealing the show and stealing the Thunder, but I feel like they balanced Chief so well of making him be cool, making him be what you want him to be, yeah. but it does not compromise. I think impact. the
2: one thing I do find funny is, um, and this is this is down to the, the budget, of course, Fred and Kelly's armor uh, are reused props from the uh, Reach's Deliver Hope trailer where Ooh, fred is dressed as noble six and <laughs> this is i did not notice telly her armor is cats but they have added the knee plate you know the the knee bit onto her onto her helmet as like the mouth guard and i cannot unsee it it is the funniest i am in hysterics just staring at it um
0: Wow, I never noticed that. Wow! <laughs> Thank you. Alex is like, how could you not, idiot?
2: Just, <laughs> every time you know, I see it, I'm like, oh, man, I wish they'd been able to, uh, you know, to to get the right armor. But, you know, <laughs> those are the sacrifices that must be made when, when you are making a production.
0: So to summarize, I w- you know, just because it's more fun, let's, subjectively, just your pure enjoyment. This isn't like an objective thing. What do you give? Josh, you start. What do you give 400? Subjectively,
1: I'd probably give it a 4 out of of 5. I I think it's fantastic. It gets better every rewatch, too. I loved it the first time I saw it. Um, You know, when they're taking off in the Pelican and then it cuts back to Lasky. I'm like, okay, I want to see what's next. And then I remember it's halo 4 (laughs) you know so it leaves me wanting that to play that experience it enriches halo 4 it does what it needs what it what it set out to do and it's good in its own right
2: like you know the very last sort of track you hear as the infinity heads into slip space is to galaxy from halo 4 it's an actual track from halo 4 soundtrack to you know signify the transition from you know this one period into the next this is the game you're going to be playing
0: it, you it, know, one of these episodes of this Haruspis retrospective, it's going to be just ninety minutes of uh, Alex gushing about the soundtrack absolutely. that's coming. Oh, we'll get there too. I can't to
1: talk about that stuff.
0: Um, but no, <laughs> just like to, one I to, wrap <laughs> <ate lunch with>. <laughs> <laughs> to wrap mine up, ate lunch with. To wrap
1: mine up because I I, I, I want to hear your guys' this more, but uh, I it's fantastic. Uh, it was it it's a really cool piece of time, and it again reminds me why I love Halo so much. Uh, because of all the different facets it can touch that I don't think, that I think, um, not to the disrespect of other medias, uh, game medias and, and fandoms and stuff like that, but they, they try to hit, and they do in their own ways, but they don't quite sort of meet or sort of eclipse, and maybe I'm biased, maybe we're all biased, but... It just doesn't. I mean, when I watch that stuff and I think about like Halo 3's promotion, Halo 5's, and you know, I Love Bees, and just all the, and just having the soundtrack in your car back in the day when you got Halo 2 Volume 1 and you're blasting Blow Me Away in there. (laughs) I mean, all the stuff about it, but more specifically, Forward Unto Dawn, it's like, this stuff is why I love Halo. I mean, it it makes it feel like a world that's lived in, and it makes me want to live in it more.
0: The only other game tie in movie that I think. I feel adds quality-wise as much as this. And people might disagree with me as Advent Children for Final Fantasy VII. I it's really, good. really enjoyed that as an add-on. but now I'd agree with you, Josh, for my final summary. Uh, subjectively, it's like a it's like a four four point five out of five stars. I mean, it didn't really do anything that it upset me. It was really enjoyable. I've, I mean, to think that I I've, hate that everyone by, died because <laughs> I loved them all. <laughs> yeah, to, to to think that my by my own volition, I've probably seen that. As a film, ten times in my life, mm-hmm. that you don't do that with something you don't enjoy. So they did a great job, I think. What What's your final uh, score? Out ten there?
2: out of ten for me, literally. Just, <laughs> yeah, Boom.
0: he's the biggest thing. I, here. I
2: haven't done an article on it yet, and I and I need to at some point. Big. Bec- That's surprised me that. Yeah, um, it will be a very long one, I'm sure. Like analyzing practically every macro. There's such
0: thing as a Haruspus article that is not. <laughs> Let's
2: be real here. But, um, yeah, it's. <laughs> it's one of those things where you know it's a whole new era of halo and you're not you know i've obviously loved a lot of the books that have been building up and the the terminals and the vision that 343's had and this kind of brought it all together in this last leg of wait for you know of waiting for halo 4 to come out those those five weeks leading up to release were some of the most exciting that i think i've ever had as a halo fan and um sprinting home to watch this I, that, that's what i think of when i think of this i think i was so excited in a way that i have rarely been excited about like games media and everything you know i, I can think of like the number of games i've like literally jumped for joy for holding the case in my hand on the day of release
0: yeah
2: um and this is one of them because because of this story in a lot of ways so it, it's an easy 10 for me and like and analytically like i'm sure i would arrive at much the same place
0: that's great. It's That's uh, awesome. Um, it's pretty. I, I, remember the, I remember when the Halo Four came out and I got home with my copy. I Josh has said this before in the podcast. When I get back when I used to get them physically at midnight, I get my copy and I peel out of the out of the freaking mm-hmm. parking lot and I drive 10, 15 miles <laughs> <lots laughs> over <laughs>
1: the speed but lift. Daytona five hundred so, for Brian. Uh
0: so I get home I get home and I, I my youngest brother at the time, who was probably like, I don't even I can't even think now, I don't know, twelve or something. He's like, Can I watch you play? And i I look at him dead in the eye and I'm like you can sit next to me and watch me play, but if you make a don't single breathe. sound, <laughs> if you breathe, you're gone. Uh, I was so excited, but uh, you're like, yeah. Any other closing thoughts, or are we good to get out of here?
1: I was gonna say when you drive in those parking lots, it was like City Escape from Sonic Adventure Two. I'll yeah. never forget that shit. I don't care. Uh, last thing I'll it. say, man, I, I think it's beautiful though. I think that's uh, that's really the legacy of that type of stuff. Is you know, you you get immersed. There, there's something about being excited for Halo game in the the hype train, the sort of row two. The games experience Mm. each one that makes it so that makes it nostalgic for you like even for all of us that maybe feel differently like wherever you feel about halo 5 i think we can all agree we were super excited for it and everything they did to promote it and it still makes you nostalgic for that you know and uh i think about sort of i had you know obviously a different experience you know i didn't play halo 4 immediately when it came out and it sort of came for me afterward but i look at all that was there to sort of bring me back in to make me understand Halo 4 more. Um, And it just made me, it was Halo 4 and it was everything 343 was doing at that point that brought me back into Halo. It wasn't Bungie, you know, it wasn't this sort of shell of, 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 of returning to nostalgia that I had been through for so long, but this was like, holy shit, this is enhancing everything I came to love. And this is also, setting its own path you know going forward and i just it, you rarely see such a, a well executed balance of that yeah, you know and it's it's just fantastic uh especially for a watching new that studio every time
2: brand new studio yes. unproven not made really any 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 full like games yet this is their first effort and just building the team yeah building the team yeah, like, as they go along <laughs> and they did, about... they did this they did this I'm amazed. I'm still amazed. I think about
1: that moment you said when you're like, you know, you're thinking about sprinting to get to the episodes and like that's the stuff you get nostalgic for, right? Because that's that's what you remember is being excited for getting to the next episode or like, Brian, you peeling out of the parking lot because you just have to get home and play this game. You know, for me, it's like I'm on the opposite end of like so much of the hype is actually just being excited and anticipating it. For you, it's like, if they gave me this game right now, I want it. There's For me, I'm like, on the other end, I'm like, if they show, if they release all the cutscenes right now, I'm not gonna watch it. I'm cutting myself <laughs> off. I'm gonna experience it. You're like, I have to watch it.
0: You know, <laughs> and you're there. I remember going in, because I had to work the morning after the midnight launch of Halo 4, and I went into work, and several of the people I worked with were getting Halo 4, and I was like, yeah, I beat the game, and they're like, what? <laughs> I just got to the third mission. It's a Brian thing, and I'm like, nah. Well, you know, if you were a true fan, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But <laughs> I was like, I've already beat it, and they're just like, oh, you know, they're like, oh, what happens to Cortana? Don't tell me, but like, oh, she she doesn't die, does she? But don't, don't don't say it, you know. And it was just like, oh, dude, it was so good, and uh, man, just I don't know. We could go on all day.
1: Yeah, nostalgic I'll, I'll memories. You, say, you know, I think a perfect way to end it is just to say, you know what, uh forward into dawn talking about this just reminds me of how much i love halo uh we have so much to look forward to this year and That'll i'm so year. excited as far
0: as halo but, goes i can't speak yeah yes words,
1: yeah. <laughs> for halo it's gonna be good so i can't wait to see what's to come next and i can't wait guys for us to come back uh next week uh and talk more about this stuff we're gonna get into some heavy breakdowns this is where the, the meat and potatoes for me where i really get to we're
2: arriving at the game's brains yes yeah the game itself. <laughs> <laughs> thank,
0: thank you uh Thank you 343, even though I would love it, for not releasing tons of awesome Halo Infinite news and content because we've had time to really get into this Halo 4 retrospective. And I think this is one of those things that all three of us are going to look back at, you know, right after it's done years later and go, man, I'm so glad we have that whatever it is, 10 to 20 piece section that people can just listen through. And experience mm-hmm. all this. And I was
1: gonna. We need to find some way after this is all done to just sort of get these all together and just sort of, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking
0: that. Like, yeah. uh, here's here's like it's in a leather bound book <laughs> and it's like it's <laughs> yeah. dusty for no reason. Um. Yeah, but anyways, guys, uh, we've really consolidated our our business pitch now that it's so easy that I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it here, make it simple for y'all. If anybody wants to send in a question or any kind of comments, uh, sacrediconpodcast at gmail.com is the place to do that. Boom. If you want to follow us, contact us on Twitter. That's at sacrediconpod. Boom, boom. Um, you can contact Josh at jovialjoshi. I'm at Brian's Uh Alex is at haruspis. Yeah, go follow him uh, right
1: now. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, if you uh, if you want to check out our patron, that's at patreon.com slash so, anyways, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you got, we got to plug the blog. It's haruspis.blog, correct? It is, yes. Oh, yes, oh, my bad. Simple. Made me look like a dick, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Alex. Pleasure Can't wait always. for the next episode. Um, Love having you. Yeah, guys, we'll see you next time on the Sacred Icon Podcast. And, as always, keep it sacred. Peace.